What is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Crypto Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, it's your host, Charles. Today, we've got a very special episode for you. We're actually sitting down with a killer trader. You probably know him from Twitter. His handle is YoungTalopa. Uh, if you haven't checked this man out, you are ri- really missing out. I think he's actually one of the most underrated traders on Twitter. Uh, so today, we're going to be talking about his trading strategy, We're going to get into liquidity analysis is probably the best way to put it. Um, You know, this isn't my strong suit, so he's going to kind of guide the conversation or he's going to take charge of the conversation. I'm kind of just going to guide it a little bit. Uh, And I apologize for my lack of knowledge on this episode. It's truly too big brain for me. Um, But before we get into that, two things. It's another YouTube video. We're going to be looking at charts, looking at the books. He's going to be pulling a couple things up highly suggest heading over to youtube for this one so you can see what we are talking about as we talk about it and the second thing is do just want to give a special shout out to the two sponsors first is crypto.com one of the biggest exchanges in the industry we've got some huge announcements that have just recently come into play the first is that they have recently launched a non-custodial wallet and can take control of your funds you don't need to have them sitting on the exchange which as we all know is huge. On top of that, the MCO Visa credit card that I always talk about is launching in Canada or they at least got the green light to launch in Canada. So be on the lookout for that. If you haven't applied for the card and you are in the States or in Europe, I highly suggest looking into it. It's got some great benefits. On top of this, on the 26th, which will probably be tomorrow for listening to this episode on on monday my drop tuesday so maybe today uh the syndicate their fundraising platform is doing an icx sale you guys have probably heard about these fundraising these fundraisers that they're doing they sell coins usually at a steep discount Uh, all you got to be doing is staking their coin cro Uh, and so for this one icx 50 percent off and then to add to the icx conversation uh you can actually earn 14 percent annually uh interest annually uh with your icx if you hold it and use coin or not coinbase jesus christ uh their earn feature on crypto.com sorry about that guys um so that's pretty much it for them a lot of big things i highly suggest heading on over to the site following up on all of this i'm sure one of those things has interested you the second sponsor is CoinFlip. these guys are actually the largest crypto atm by volume and the third largest by number of machines. Cannot believe that I secured this sponsorship for the podcast. Uh, They've got a website. There's going to be a link in the description below. You can check out where these machines are located. They have some of the lowest fees in the market. So if you're out and about, want to show your friends how to purchase some crypto, it's not just Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, a couple others. They have a full list on their site. Uh, you can check out online where where you can find one of these ATMs. And then second big announcement is their OTC desk did just launch very recently. It was within the last two weeks or so. A uh, couple key things there is they've got a wonderful help desk, pretty much able to call at any time and get help. And then the biggest draw I'd say is the $5,000 minimum that is needed. Most of these OTC desks are much higher than this. So if you want to go through this process, learn about how OTC trades work, 
Uh, don't want to go through an exchange. Head on over. There's a, Again, there's a link in the description below. Uh, and again, thank you guys for bearing with me on all of that. These large, large sponsors that I'm working with, they always have new and updated stuff. So I got to talk a lot at the beginning of these episodes. So again, thank you. Now let's get into this episode with Young Talopa. So I am here with Young Talopa. It's funny because we just talked about this name. We can get into it in a second. For the longest time, I thought it was Young Tilapia. Um, and I was like, what is this guy doing? But can you just give us a bit of background on yourself, what you were doing before you started trading, where this name kind of come from, just so we can get a little bit of background on you and your kind of expertise and then how you got into trading? Sure. Um, so uh, I guess I've got quite a kind of unconventional background in that. Um, I mean, I never really cared about money. It's not something I particularly particularly value um, and I still don't really, but I I have a, a chronic pain condition which I developed about 10 years ago, which was when I first kind of discovered trading. Um, and that, that, that pain condition makes it very difficult for me to hold down a normal job. Um, so it, it's a lot better now, but at the time I couldn't even hold a four core, turn a door handle. So it was quite kind of, uh, devastating. Wow. Yeah. Really sorry to hear that, man. And it sounds like it's gotten better, which is good. Yeah. So I, I still kind of manage it, but it's a lot better, but, um, it, it was while, uh, trying to find ways of managing the pain that I started becoming really interested in the mind, which is where my, my name comes from. So yeah, I might talk a little bit about this, about this later, but um, I started kind of practicing meditation uh, for hours a day, became quite kind of obsessive and um, did a master's degree in the, the psychology of mental health where I wrote a paper on mindfulness and whether or not uh, living kind of according to your values has any impact on the amount of low-level pain people experience. There's stuff like headaches, stomach aches, um, you know, kind of, kind of low-level aches and pains most people have from time to time. So, yeah, I, I've been practicing meditation both in and out of retreats ever since, but uh, having to live with and uh, manage th this pain condition was one of the main reasons why trading appeal to me there we go kind of get to work from home create your own schedule nothing too labor intensive exactly um, yeah more for me it was mind a, than anything huh? it was a kind of relief to find a way of making a living which was uh flexible you know which i could do from home which allowed me control over my own time so so you're dealing with that kind of pain you can say hey i don't need to trade right now this is something that i can focus on later um, which has, I'm sure, been extremely nice. So Yeah, exactly. Great great to hear that it's kind of become more manageable. Any um, conclusions from that kind of study that you did or what you were kind of looking into with the low-level pain and living according to kind of your values? Yeah, it was fascinating. Um, so I, I was looking at, couple of measures one mindfulness the second being whether or not you live according to your values and in psychology you've got different ways of kind of 
measuring values, but there's um, uh, one of the more common measures is um, it kind of divides values into different sections. So you've got values like power, um, benevolence is one of them, universalism, which is uh, feeling like you're connected to people. There's about eight, nine, ten different kind of main categories of values. And um, yeah, what I found is there's a statistically significant correlation between um well for sure mindfulness and low level pain so if you're more kind of quote unquote mindful and i might talk a bit about this later you're less likely to have low level symptoms but the the interesting and kind of new finding is that um if you're living according to your values so i guess what you believe in what what you hold to be true what what you value um yeah, you're, you're, you're less likely to be in, in kind of pain on a day-to-day basis. Jesus. Okay. Very, very interesting topic of conversation. Um, we can get as deep as you want into that because I feel like we could go on for a while about that. Um, I did kind of want to focus or at least circle back on trading if that's cool. I don't, I don't know which way you'd like to take this interview to start. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Let's 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 go back to trading. Sorry, <laughs> no, I mean, like, honestly, <laughs> I'm very interested in both of these topics. This interview, we kind of threw it together haphazardly, and I just kind of wanted to see where it would go. You're a killer trader, from what I've seen on Twitter. A lot of people respect you, look up to you, kind of take a lot away from your trading. It was funny, actually. The sim interview I did, you put together a beautiful kind of infographic or like a, some sort of picture on it that really broke it down very very easy to understand um so i that was one of the like first things that put me on where i was like we got to get you on we gotta we gotta talk about your specific trading strategy because you seem to be able to understand this kind of high level stuff and break it down in a very nice way um so before we really get into it can you just give us a high level overview of your trading strategy and then we can kind of dive into it a little bit more sure um so my my approach to trading basically relies on identifying inefficiencies in the market so uh one I guess one observation which is kind of common across all trading styles is that price shifts between different states, right? So some people call it trending and ranging, uh, balance, imbalance, impulse, consolidation, accumulation, distribution, you know, whatever the list goes on. <laughs> so, so many different ways to say the same thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. A lot of it's marketing, but... <laughs> right. um, but whatever you want to call it, uh, price spends some time in a kind of low volatility state, right, of relative equilibrium or balance. In other words, it's not really moving anywhere. And it, it spends some time putting in kind of big candles um, as a, an absence of bids or offers, depending on which way price is moving, kind of spreads price and Price will price will kind of reach for available liquidity, liquidity being limit orders in the book, and price will move until it finds that liquidity, or until buyers or sellers 
whoever's driving the move simply kind of dry up and that imbalance begins to shift and price will start moving in the other direction. Um, and the question is, and I mean, I got into trading about, about 10 years ago now and uh, it had a kind of rough start like most traders. It started with, with stocks and um, spent a long time kind of uh browsing forums and, and and trading off bullshit indicators <laughs> and trading against the big boys yeah i mean i didn't i didn't even have a clue that that that, that there was such a thing as a big boy back then but, <laughs> so really um, quick because you did talk about kind of trading off inefficiencies and you started in traditional markets i feel like there are a lot of inefficiencies in the crypto markets or at least more so that you can take advantage of. Is this what kind of drew you to trading Bitcoin? I, I don't know if you even trade Bitcoin solely or what what your trading style involves or what you're trading exactly. Um, so could we maybe get into that a little bit more? Sure, yeah. Um, so I came across cryptocurrency in, in 2017, like most people, not because... Um, the market was kind of pumping, but I was, I think, I suspect like a lot of people buying, um, buying drugs online. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It sounds like a lot of people's intro story right there. Yeah. Um, but because I'd already kind of experienced um, dark times tra trading stocks, um, I could kind of see what was going on. So the, the pace at which all this kind of vaporware was moving up was was clearly unsustainable so um luckily i don't have any bags to my name but i quickly kind of recognized that there was there was opportunity there because wherever you've got a market this well back then this inefficient and this illiquid there's opportunity at, at least for someone who trades with a relatively kind of modest account so yeah i jumped in and it was a lot of fun because there's there was opportunity everywhere you could, you could, uh, you know, you could market make shit coins with fucking ten percent spreads. Um, right. Still to this day, we're seeing that, but it's starting to become more efficient. It's kind of nice yeah. that you had this experience already, so that when you jumped into the market, you kind of already knew what you were doing. I feel like a lot of people, when I talk to them, crypto is their first market ever, and so they had to learn a lot of valuable lessons from the start. Did lose a lot of money. When you jumped into it, were you pretty much good to go from the get-go or was there a learning curve to this new market that you kind of needed to figure out? Yeah, there's always a learning curve. Um, but I, I guess the benefit is that I um, adapted to it quite quite quickly. There we go. Okay, so that was kind of your intro. It was the buying drugs. You had this experience trading. You quickly realized that there are a lot of inefficiencies in this market that you could take advantage of. Uh, and so that was kind of your intro. Are you solely trading Bitcoin now or what's your, where are you at in your trading career? I would say. Yeah. Bitcoin's uh, I'm kind of most familiar with this. Why I trade the most these days. Um, I do trade um, a couple of FX pairs and, and gold as well, but um, yeah, Bitcoin's my focus. There we go. Okay, so getting back to your actual trading strategy, 
Uh, you said you're looking for inefficiencies. We got a lot of stuff up on the screen right now. Do you think we could walk through what it is you're looking at when you actually sit down to start trading? And then, sorry, as a preface to this, uh, what what kind of time frames are you trading on here? Because I can see it now, <clears throat> but I'm just trying to figure out if this is exactly what you're looking at every time you pull up the charts. Yeah, this, I mean, this is more or less what I'm looking at when I'm trading. It's not particularly complicated. Um, there's, there's depth of market, order book on the right. In the middle, I've just got, um, I mean, it's a 45-minute candlestick chart at the moment with the CBD at the bottom, which is cumulative volume delta, and on, on the left is a footprint chart. And, um, yeah, this, this is primarily what I'm, I'll have up. I mean, the, the time frame will change, but I'll generally have levels derived from the daily or, or you know, the four hour or the hourly, whatever's relevant. And then for execution, I mean, generally I'll have a, the time frame will be lower than 45 minutes, but this is my kind of rough setup. Yeah. Okay. There we go. So this is kind of the start. <clears throat> you look, you go higher time frames and lower time frames, depending on what you're looking at and uh, when you're actually probably making these trades. Uh, but let's start just from left to right. Can you break down what it is that you were looking for and at a little bit more? Just so my audience knows or has some kind of takeaway from this episode. Yeah. Okay. And I know, um, I know, sorry, let me again preface this. I know that a lot of traders don't want to give everything away and that's totally understandable. If I'm asking too much or pushing a little bit, <clears throat> sorry, pushing a little bit too hard, Please, we can we can back off. You can tell me to fuck off, and we'll move on to the next thing. <laughs> okay, it's no bother. Um, so, yeah, I guess before I start explaining what all of this is, um, I should just give a a kind of better overview of my how I approach the markets because I think it's kind of relevant to please how I use this tool. So, um, I mean the. The question is for all traders, I guess, is how how do you go about anticipating a move in the market? Because as a as a retail trader like me who who doesn't have a clue what the the fundamental value of a Bitcoin is, how are you meant to make money here? So first of all, I think you have to have at least a basic understanding of how the market actually moves because what a lot of people don't understand is that market microstructure the kind of mechanism or organizational structure which allows i mean i don't know if you trade but uh you know me and other traders to trade that mechanism also kind of distorts price so if i wanted to exchange something with you in real life the process would be relatively simple i'd give you something and you give me something in return so let's say you wanted to buy um an ounce of crack okay? <laughs> because you're addicted to crack and you want, you want crack. Yes. You call me. <laughs> this is a good example. Very applicable. Okay. Right. So uh, then I'll turn up hopefully um, quite quickly. And when you give me the money, I'll give you the crack. Okay. And, and this works because we're both there at the same time and we're both willing to exchange it at an agreed upon price unless something goes wrong. So, that's that's what the market is at, at its kind of core, right? Yes. But 
really I know quick, my sponsors are going to love this episode. <laughs> For your sponsors, it maybe you want to just give them a quick, uh, a quick mention there. No, yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to bring them up at this point. But no, they got, okay, they got well, mentioned at the beginning of the episode. They're just going to love the crack talk. Okay. <laughs> so I know you're, you're into um, Amazon, but you know that process if i wanted to exchange something on amazon that process obviously becomes slightly more complicated so you know more about it than i do but there's a more kind of elaborate organizational structure there through which that very basic transaction is filtered yeah one of which just comes to mind real quick is the fact that there are other sellers other buyers on there which adds to the mix and i think where you're going with this is this has an effect on price Exactly, yeah. Um, and, in, and in markets, in, in trading, that that organizational structure, that middleman is um, what's referred to as market microstructure. So market microstructure includes the, the operation of exchanges, the rules which govern them, uh, market makers or, or liquidity providers, different, different order types, the impact of uh, you know various different market participants, all of whom are trading on on different scales with different size and and on different kind of time horizons, with different aims or objectives, and w- what a lot of people don't understand, or perhaps they just haven't considered how important this is, is that uh, the way in which markets are organised has a really large part to play in how prices are determined and on the the way in which price moves or behaves so yeah yeah, i don't know whether that's no just hearing you talk about this it kind of opens my eyes a little bit more because when you think about it at its core again it's someone is buying bitcoin someone is selling bitcoin it does go back to that original kind of crack analogy that we were talking about but slowly more participants are getting put into the market the way the markets are set up all of this stuff kind of comes together to make it much more complex than a simple buying and selling someone selling to a buyer exactly yeah and i mean auction market theory you might you might have heard of it is kind of a common way of um viewing what the market is and how it operates but it doesn't really work when when it, you know in regards to actually trading it because uh it's just not as simple as that it's not it's not an auction in the same way um you know things are auctioned on on ebay for example and a really kind of simple example is uh a a stop loss cascade and you know th- this happens all the time on different time frames and across asset classes of course but uh well this is a this is a nice example i mean this this move here at the beginning of march midway through march give me ptsd right here yeah (laughs) apologies for (laughs) bringing it up this was when i was on my road trip and i i wasn't really paying attention to anything that had to do with the market and i think i opened my portfolio one day and was just like holy shit i am losing so much money right now but uh yeah no, nice. yeah, back back to the actual stop loss ca- cascades and how this is like what actually happened and why this happened. Okay, so 
yeah, it, it's horrific <laughs> for people <laughs> for people holding Bitcoin. I guess not now unless they sold. But um, when something like that happens, there are, I mean, there are often kind of fundamental or macroeconomic factors in play. So in this case, you know, the the, the whole market was selling off here, um, but it's also as a result of the way in which markets organize that this, this move here uh, kind of overextended itself. So in other words, volatility like this isn't just a reflection of value, whatever that means. It's, uh, it's at least in part a result of the fact that the market's inefficient and it's this inefficiency which allows, well, allows me to make money. So all the way down here, okay, beneath, I mean, traders tend to keep their stop losses below uh, kind of psychological um, kind of levels in the market. So beneath beneath swing lows, so all the way down here, beneath each of these swing lows, you will have had uh, large, large participants kind of stopping out or unwinding their long positions. The the combined order flow of which drives price down and, and triggers a kind of chain reaction or, or cascade effect in which, you know, more waves of stop loss orders get hit again, consuming buy side liquidity and, and driving price further down. So that's, that's one of the reasons why price kind of shat itself so hard here. And that, that's where the edge is for me. There we go. Yeah. This wasn't that, you know, everybody in the market just decided that Bitcoin was worth 50% less at, you know, on this particular day. It was that levels kind of broke through, people started selling off, and this caused more of that to happen. Uh, and is, I'm assuming, like you're saying, that's kind of your bread and butter and where you can take advantage of this market the most. Yeah. Really well put. So, yeah, it's as a result of this move, this overextension, which is a kind of, um, I mean, it's not purely a technical event, but it's at least in part a technical event in that it's not a reflection of value. Um, as a result of that, there's a liquidity void in here, a void in liquidity, which means that this this whole move is quite likely to get filled. Uh, so price is likely to retrace this move. And, it, you know, of course, this is an extreme example, but the same kind of dynamics are playing out on, on lower timeframes every day. So what you get is a kind of shot of volume, um, a gap or, or series of gaps in the book, in the order book, which, which causes price to overextend. And as a result of that overextension, you get a, a liquidity void and that move is quickly retraced. There we go. And that's what you're taking advantage of. So going back to what we were looking at earlier, um, I don't know if you want to pull that back up, but how, because honestly, when I'm looking at this, this very left side of things, and even when I'm looking at the books, I like, it's, it's very hard for me to follow. So how do you apply what we had just talked about to what we have pulled up right here? Okay. Um, I don't know if so that's I'm asking not, too much. Um, I've just got to think about the best way to, to convey it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want you giving away everything. It's just there's there's a bit of a disconnect for me 
with what we just talked about, which is very easy to understand and follow if you're kind of at least a little bit tuned into the market. But then when you pull this up, I just I'm completely lost on how you're spotting this. Is it something that you're looking at the charts as well? Or is this something where you need to have the, the books open and you need to be like constantly monitoring it? Um, yeah, you, you don't need to have all this shit open. You, you can, you can kind of, uh, observe this stuff on a candlestick chart, but, um, this all helps. So, um, I guess I should start by explaining that. I mean, this is, this is an order book. Everyone's seen an order book before. Um, but what I think a lot of people don't understand is that it's not, it's not necessarily volume. So it's not necessarily an influx of buyers or sellers, which causes large moves, but, uh, an absence of liquidity. So all you're seeing here is liquidity in the book orders in the book. So this is the sell side. This is the buy side that that's liquidity. And. I don't know. People listening might have heard this this thing that you know the market goes up when there are more buyers than sellers and down when there are more sellers than buyers. But um, it's just not true. It, it doesn't really reflect how the market actually operates. Uh, the market's a a mechanism, quite kind of complex mechanism for matching buyers with sellers. And so, whatever the instrument. Um, Number of number of export equals number of Y sold. Okay, so for every long, there's a short on 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 Bitmex, for example, and so price really moves up and down as a result of the ratio of market to limit orders at any given price. So uh, with, with with an even number of market buyers and sells. Okay, let's say right now, uh, at exactly the same time uh two different people one of them buys a, like a million bitcoin one of them sells a million bitcoin sorry a million dollars worth of bitcoin <laughs> hey, jesus who um, is this yeah that's satoshi on, so, on max well hopefully not right. um so if you know if someone um, bought a million dollars worth of bitcoin and someone sold the same amount right now obviously price will push to the less liquid side of the market. So in this case, price will move up. Okay. Cause you've got just under 2 million on the, on the bid side here. So price, price moves as a, as a result of the ratio of market to limit orders, um, at any given price. Got it. So look, I'm looking at the books right now and we just saw that million or so in cells get sold off, I would say. And now we're starting to see price creep up because the dollar value of sellers looks relatively low compared to the buyers. Is this kind of, am I following this correctly? Um, I, I mean, I guess what I'm, what I'm explaining is more a kind of general principle. I mean, really, I'm not really, I'm not kind of looking at the book Got because it. it's, it's, it's just a mess of, um, you know, liquidity gets kind of, stacked and pulled in in split seconds uh, yeah see that that was always one of the biggest things for me is i i've talked to people who say they trade solely just watching the books or at least they have or can and i just don't understand that because new buys and sells are getting added to the books constantly and it's just flowing up and down and so i really don't understand how that works um so sorry if i'm sounding a little bit 
naive or off the mark here. This is, you know, very different from what I'm looking at. So this is kind of me trying to wrap my head around things on the fly. So I apologize. It's, it's no bother. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, you, you never know when someone's going to step in and, and market buy or market sell. And you never know when... Um, liquidity is going to kind of populate the book. But I, w- I mean, I won't go into too much detail here because it gets a little bit complex, but um, there's something called the the long memory and order flow, which which basically refers to the fact that um, buy orders tend to follow buy orders, whether that's market buying or um, limit buys in a book and, and vice versa for, for selling. So what that basically means is that um, liquidity tends to pull where liquidity pulled in the past and on a candlestick chart just very basically um, I mean there is liquidity where price has spent a long time trading okay areas of consolidation like this like this and there tends not to be so much liquidity where price doesn't spend so much time trading and so um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really kind of basic example, but just so that people listen, get, get a rough idea of what I'm talking about. Um, you can kind of anticipate resistance based upon um, where, where volume built in the past. So areas of consolidation. And conversely, going back to this daily chart, here there was no consolidation, no kind of volume built there. Um, there's likely kind of relatively little liquidity in there compared to areas like this or like this or like this, more kind of voluminous areas. Makes sense. And so if we're just looking at this chart, we can kind of see that it did not take us too long to kind of break through that on the upside. Uh, We had a big move down and then there wasn't too much volume kind of hanging out from, I would say, low sevens to high sixes even lower than that fives um am i am i following this correctly yeah yeah, exactly perfect sorry sorry again that this is just so such basic stuff that you're needing to explain it's just i try to break things down one for myself and two for my audience uh, because for some of these guys this is brand new stuff and we're kind of trying to give them this intro and then you are more than welcome to run as hard as you want with it because there are people listening who want to hear this more complex stuff. But so we're going back. Can we go back again? Uh, We've kind of talked about the books a little bit. I did want to go through some other stuff. Uh, It was the CVD that you've got up. Can you explain that a little bit more? Because that's not something that I'm familiar with. Yeah, that's that's this down here. Um, so at the moment, it's it's just a kind of line chart I've got set up, but you can set it so that it looks very similar to a candlestick chart. Um, CVD just stands for cumulative volume delta, and all that is is um, the the kind of ratio of uh, market buys to market sells during any given candle. So let's say you had. Um, Okay, let's say 100 Bitcoin were bought and only 
10 Bitcoin were sold in a, in a candle, right? In an hourly candle, the CVD would look something like that. And if 10 Bitcoin were bought and 10 Bitcoin were sold, the, the CVD would be flat. Okay. Cause of the, uh, the same amount of Bitcoin was sold as bought. So it just shows you the, the ratio of market buys to market sells during, during a candle. And it's useful because let's say, um, let's say you have a CVD like this. Okay. A hundred Bitcoin were bought only 10 Bitcoin were sold. And yet the, the candle is, is relatively flat. Okay. So, you know, price, price doesn't really move very much. Um, that tells us something about the density of limit orders in the book, because if you've got way more market buying than market selling, um, and price isn't moving, that tells us that there's liquidity there. Okay. People are willing to provide liquidity. There are sellers in the book. So all that market buying is getting absorbed. Just into, um, just into resting bids. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in this case, resting sells. Sorry, sells. My apologies. Um, okay. Is there any more to that that you want to go into? It seems pretty basic. You gave us a very good example of how this kind of works and why it would kind of be flat. Obviously, there are different ways that you can go about this. If there are more market sells and price stays flat, it's just the opposite. Um, but was there anything else to that? Because that one seems pretty easy to follow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's quite, it's quite kind of interesting to look at in that, um, often you'll get, let's say you get a candle like this, right. Um, or like this here. Okay. Often what you will see is, um, a quite kind of heavy negative Delta, right? So the, the cumulative volume Delta would be, would be negative. Um, and yet price closes up more or less where the candle opened that tells you something about um the the kind of microstructure effects on how price moves okay so as a result of the way in which price sold off here in other words it was extremely illiquid um price had no trouble retracing this entire move even though i mean it's not a particularly good example because very little is going on here. But generally, what you'll have in, in a case like this is, is a negative delta, and yet price retraces the entire move. So it's something. It, I mean, it's quite kind of useful to look at um, in terms of educating yourself about how the market moves. But um, it can also be really good to 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 look at when you're when you're interested in, in trading. As kind of confluence so just for example um so i, I was short from up here last week or, or the week before whenever it was expecting um excuse me Okay, expecting price to retrace th this entire move. And as a result of the CVD here, so over the course of this, this period of trading, you can see that 
the the CBD is increasingly negative. Okay, so this kind of line chart is making lower lows, and yet prices prices failing to make lower lows. And all that tells you is that people are market selling into this, uh, but price isn't moving lower. Okay, so what you've got here is buy limits absorbing all that selling. Uh, that tells me that there's trap positioning here. Um, so, it, it, I mean, it, it depends on context, but in that situation, I'll often move my stop down or into profit if I'm already in a position because when when this kind of area of consolidation breaks to the upside, you're likely going to get a kind of pop like you did here because um, what CVD tells you is that people have been market selling into this area uh, and price isn't budging basically. There we go. Okay, so earlier, let me, let me just try to see if I can talk through this one myself. Earlier when I had asked you about, you know, are you just watching the books and you're like, no, it's not really necessary because a lot of funky stuff goes on. This, the CVD kind of gives you an idea of what was happening at the time. You know, there's these big market sells, not as many market buys, but then you can see that price has continue, continued to increase. So this kind of gives you a visualization of what's going on in the books, if I'm following correctly. Yeah, that's okay. it. And then you can apply this to trading. Don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. There's obviously a bunch of different examples of how that works. Uh, but I'm just trying to get like a key understanding of what you're looking at and how I guess you can apply it. Not so much how you can apply it, but just what it is that we are looking at. So that I think makes as much sense as I'm putting it back out there, trying to explain it. Um, don't need to go too much deeper into that, I would say. Uh, and then lastly, on the left here, again, going back to this, I uh, this is order flow that we're looking at right here, right? I still don't really understand order flow. Like I, I had that episode with Sting and it blew my mind and I didn't really understand what we were talking about. So maybe we could go into it a little bit more here. Am I even right in saying that, that this is what we're looking at? Uh, order flow, you mean? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess in a sense, everything's order flow, but that, I mean, this is the, this is a kind of granular way of looking at it. Okay. So kind of similar, I guess, to CVD, but you, um, this, this is just a footprint chart uh on sierra which is what i use it's called uh it's a numbers bar study but all this shows you is um how market buyers or market sellers were interacting with liquidity so um what i mean what you used to have is just a kind of uh a tape right you might have heard of tape reading so yeah. all that is is it just shows you all the kind of transactions which are going through. So all the buys, all the sells, what time they occurred, um, how big they were. And this, the footprint chart just records all of that and displays it in, in a kind of easy to read format. So um, these are, these are 15 minute candlesticks. I usually have it set, set lower. So each of these is a 15 minute candlestick. And, um, all it shows you is, so uh, I mean, at this level here, for example, this price, um, $2.31 million worth of Bitcoin was sold at this price and 
4.9, 4.7 were bought over the course of this 15-minute period. So it, it just lets you see kind of inside the candlestick to see um, how it was formed or how it, how it is being formed in real time. So a little bit like the CVD, it lets you see, um, you know, where where buyers are getting absorbed, where sellers are getting absorbed, where where there are inefficiencies in the market. Okay, thank you for breaking this down, and I apologize. You know, this again is just not my strong suit right here. So sorry if I'm just butchering this completely, even when just asking questions. Um, and so you said, is it just market buys and sells, or is this all buys and sells? Um, I mean, I guess it's both in that, of course, you know, say, let's say at the top of this candlestick here, if, if someone bought $2.32 million worth of Bitcoin up at the top here, they're, they're consuming self-sale liquidity. So it shows you at the same time, how much market buying occurred at that level. And at the same time, it's showing you how much liquidity was consumed at that level yeah as i'm talking through that that kind of makes sense and what i was saying was kind of dumb appreciate you no, being very understanding with me sorry this is still again i just need to say it for the 15th time not my strong suit <laughs> it's my bother okay so we've kind of gone through i guess almost everything you're looking at i i don't know if there's more to it that we may have missed is there is there anything you think my audience should know? Um, I mean, there's a lot, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to start, really. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I'm sure there's a lot more that goes into it, but any high-level stuff or, or key points that you think you definitely want my audience to know? Um, yeah, sure. So... Um, yeah, what, what I'm effectively looking for is, uh, liquidity and the absence of liquidity, because there you've got something which gives you a good idea which way price is headed. Um, because as, as I mentioned, you never know when someone's going to step in a market buy however many Bitcoin, but you do have some idea of where stops are likely to be resting, for example, and you can identify efficiency and inefficiency, so areas of consolidation, kind of thin runs in price. So areas where the, the, there's likely to be liquidity, in other words, areas where volume built in the past and areas which are illiquid, where there's a relative void in price. And um, yeah, if you, if you can learn to identify those areas, I think you get a much kind of better uh, read on price than if you just kind of blindly trade um, SR, for example, because there is, there's some really kind of common um, price behaviors which occur day in and day out. Um, for example, if I just get this daily chart back up, um, so let's take these these lows for example okay uh, i've explained that liquidity tends to pull where liquidity pulled in the past so 
what I'm doing is looking for areas of volume like this. Okay. In contrast, this is an illiquid move, which you'd expect to get filled in. Okay. Uh, but this is the kind of area at which I'd expect there to be uh, buyers waiting and lo and behold, it, it acts as some kind of support. But it's these, I mean, it's the, the market structure which forms around these areas. In this case, these, these kind of swing lows here, which, which act as a, a kind of trigger for inefficient price runs like this one here. Okay. Um, and what happens is price will either catch a, a kind of void in liquidity. Okay. So this here is quite a nice example of a, um, a void an illiquid move in which I don't expect it to be much liquidity. Um, or it will kind of run into a, an area of concentrated stops and we know that um, traders tend to place stops at these kind of psychological reference points, so these swing lows. So what happens is price hits those stop losses at, at the same time it's running into this liquidity void. So it's the kind of area which I'd expect price to to kind of run, right? And sorry. No, you're good. Silence that. Um and because information about stops isn't public, uh, what what you also get here is, um, I guess, what you consider rational trading by what people call uninformed traders, like like me, basically. Um, that that also intensifies these moves because when price starts moving quickly, uh, traders are forced to make decisions so that they'll they'll jump in on the back of momentum or they'll they'll unwind their positions. So when price starts moving, traders are kind of forced to make decisions. Um, it, you know, it attracts the interest of traders who rush to buy or sell. Um, and all of this kind of order flow, you've got, you've got stop loss orders. You've got the, the interest of short term traders who are trying to kind of follow the momentum here. Um, all of that is exacerbated by, uh, market makers who will widen their spreads or, or even stop providing liquidity when, when price starts moving quickly like this. And that, that's what I, that's the kind of infographic I was, you, you were referring to earlier, I think. There we go. So uh, bringing this back to guys who just trade SR stuff, you know, you see a single line on the chart. I feel like you've gone in and you are now explaining why these moves happen. Because, yeah, you know, you can draw a single line here and be like, yes, this is very clear support and it broke. And then we saw huge selling and some downside movement. From what I'm kind of hearing, it sounds like you're giving us kind of the reasoning behind it. Is that correct? Uh, I guess so, yeah. I mean, to the best of my understanding. Uh, yeah, for me, I mean, before I kind of looked into this in more detail, the, the whole thing was a, a bit of a mystery. Um, and I don't know. It's still I a mystery my... to me. And I, again, apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably sitting on the other hand like this fucking jackass, man. But I, I appreciate you bearing with me on this kind of stuff. Not at all. Um, but yeah, I guess the, the point I'd want to convey to people listening is that it's really important to understand 
why um, why you get these kind of behaviors um, and to learn to identify, you know, wh where are they likely to happen and how can you take advantage of them and, and you know, why, uh, why are you able to take advantage of them? Yeah, you, you seem to have figured that out and you've gone and done some deep diving and now understand why these moves are occurring. Um, really quick, just circling back, because at the beginning of the episode you talked about kind of your interest in psychology and your background in psychology does that play into your trading at all the psychology of the market and other participants in it i know we've kind of talked about it and like sort of it sounds like from how price is reacting at certain levels but is there anything more to it that you kind of apply to your trading uh yeah i mean uh, i'm not so interested in um the psychology of other market participants in that um i guess all you need to know about that is kind of reflected in the chart yeah but which we've kind of touched on already yeah yeah but yeah with, with regards to my own psychology it's, it's extremely important um yeah i mean every trader brings to brings to their work their own unique set of kind of shit i guess <laughs> and <laughs> it's really important that you um, you become aware of and address that because I mean, well, l last year I was, I, I um, had a kind of mentoring program and a lot of the traders who uh, I taught during the course of that year, they, they were in a similar position um, in that they were kind of stuck in this eternal search for uh, technical knowledge, basically. And it's a kind of endless road. Um, and, and at some point or another, you, you really need to start addressing your, your own, um, I think shit is the best word, but your, your own, um, you know, to find out uh, what kind of setups are you able to execute on? Because it, it, it varies so much from trader to trader. Um, you know, in trading, what, what you don't know represents risk. So it's so important that you, you, you discover um, how you react to different different kind of situations or behaviors, different environments, and um, try try and address address what whatever risk is there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. I feel like a lot of the traders that I talk to very similar in that they can build these systems, these trading systems out, but I think where they struggle the most is actually executing and getting into the right mindset to kind of stick to these systems that they're talking about um and i know just with your background i feel like this would you know you you understand this more than most which is kind of why i brought this question up just to start with um is there anything that you kind of do to mentally prep or you know get into the right mindset when sitting down to trade Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure if this will, uh, kind of resonate with most people, but I, I meditate a lot. I think it's really important because it's, um, you know, if you're not aware of your emotions, you, you can't even begin to understand how emotions can affect or impact your trading decisions. And, you know, never mind kind of work out how you can go about 
creating a process or environment that that helps minimize or eliminate that impact so it, it, whatever it is for you uh, it's so important that you bring just some kind of awareness to that process whether it's um uh, you know it may not be meditation or meditation practice but even something like uh kind of emotional journaling just just kind of making a note of and reflecting on how you responded to the market during the course of the day will will benefit you massively i think there we go yeah for anyone who doesn't i highly suggest it i actually did an episode with some guy who has been meditating for a while now and ha- we we talked about the effects on his mental health and then also how it applies to trading Uh, And I feel like, you know, meditation can really get you into the right mindset has fixed a lot of problems for a lot of people. And so I can definitely recommend sounds like you can do the same. Uh, But back to kind of the core of the episode, the trading Uh, before we move on, because I always like to ask a couple last questions or a couple questions right at the end of the episode. uh, Is there anything else to your specific trading strategy your mindset, anything to do with trading before we move on? Um, I don't think so, no. I think that's probably We've covered a lot, honestly. We we really (laughs) dove deep on your trading strategy, kind of moved into the mindset of it as well. We got to take a look at kind of what you're seeing when you're sitting down, which I think is super beneficial to a lot of people who watch these or listen to these. Um, just because, you know, I see you on Twitter, I see the charts that you're posting, but I don't really get to see the behind the scenes stuff, uh, which I think is very beneficial and kind of why I try to have you guys on and poke and prod and get as much info out of you as possible. So I thank you a lot for that. We, I think we have covered a lot and I don't think we need to go into anything else. Uh, these last two questions I always like to ask my guests you know, do you have anything big coming up in the next 12 months? Is there anything that you're excited to get into? I know you talked about you've mentored a couple of people. Is that something that you're going to continue to do on a go forward basis? Um, excited about, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not mentoring at the moment. Um, what, what I've done is just, um, take the kind of content from that mentorship program and kind of packaged it up in a, a video course. So that's available for people who want to check that out. But, um, this is the kind of stuff I'm asking about. You, you brush over it. So, so lightly, tell us more about this, please. Uh, honestly, I, I hate marketing. It's, I'm a terrible marketer. So <laughs> that's all I'm you know, good at. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push it at all, but what, what, what I'm most excited about, um, I guess professionally is, um, I'm putting together a kind of coaching program specifically designed for traders and, and money managers in which I'll be, uh, teaching meditation. And Ooh. I honestly don't know how much interest is going to be for it, but it, it's probably what I'm most interested in and kind of passionate about teaching. So yeah, I'm just going to do it anyway. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite kind of excited about that. I think it will really benefit people and hopefully shed some light on the, the mental aspect of trading, which, which, which isn't talked about nearly as much as it should be on Twitter. No, it definitely know. isn't. I feel like everyone is kind of not tuned into how important it is and the benefits of meditation. Like I said, I did that episode 
And I've seen, you know, immense benefits in my life. Um, I'm not, you know, as big on trading now, even more so um, just because I've got other stuff on my plate. But I've seen how your mental state can really affect your trading. And I think meditation is one of the best ways to get a good handle on it. Uh, so I'm excited for that. You're you're definitely right in saying that there might not be too much interest on Twitter um, because none of those guys are, a lot of them, I'd say, aren't tuned into it. Uh, but very exciting stuff coming up. Is there anything else? I feel like those are two huge things right there. Not particularly, no. Just kind of grinding away. I mean, personally, I'm, um, um, I'm getting a van, so I'm just looking forward to getting out i mean i live up in glasgow so i've got the the highlands near so i'm just looking forward to getting out and camping and um... oh very much my speed i feel like we would get along (laughs) swimmingly um really quick you said that you don't see too much value in bitcoin itself do you are you an investor at all do you hold any bitcoin for the long term or is this solely you trade it you make money you're out um I don't recall saying that. But <laughs> oh, what? I feel like I feel like you said you don't. Maybe it wasn't that you don't see the value in it, but you were a little confused on the value. Maybe I'm wrong there. No, I mean I, I'm yeah, I'm I'm definitely bullish on Bitcoin. In, okay. In, in the so long term, I'm an idiot I... and clearly showing that I was not paying attention as much as I should have been. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't have a massive. Um, a massive holding like my it just doesn't really kind of sit well with me i'm I'm terrible at um you know high time frame trading and holding positions so um yeah holding bags isn't really my thing I, I trade it day to day um i expect it to go up but yeah i don't have a i don't have a massive kind of bag of it sitting in a, a wallet there we go okay that was kind of what i was getting at because there are some traders who are like, I have a lot of Bitcoin that I just hold up yeah. to the side. I lean <laughs> bullish clearly because I have this bag. And then there are other people who just say like, nope, don't own any of it. Eventually it's going to zero, but I'll trade it to zero and make a shit ton of money. So I just like to get a gauge for kind of where you're at or where the traders are at. Um, Cause it's very interesting to me. I'm, you know, very bullish on it. You know, work in the industry, own Bitcoin. I think it's going at least higher on the upside for in the near future and definitely in the long term. Um, yeah. So it's just weird to not weird, but interesting, I should say, to hear other people's perspectives on it. But yeah, okay, sure. Own a little bit of Bitcoin. Um, you know, usually like to wrap up with some sort of biggest tip for the traders. Uh, you touched on mindset and kind of some of the stuff that you're working on that obviously you see is very important for traders uh but do you have a biggest tip for for i guess any trader out there and then also any trader who's kind of looking to trade based off liquidity and volume a little bit more um yeah so i mean one of the most important things for me is practice um just like, I mean, trading for me is a kind of performance-based activity. So I think to become a successful trader, you have to engage in structured practice. So really kind of intense, um, repeated 
structured practice and experience in in different market conditions because the yeah as i said the the unknown represents danger um and so i mean for new traders for sure you need to first of all i would say stop kind of searching for more more kind of technical knowledge trying to trying to control the external environment and then start kind of refining what you already have and and actively practicing with it when, when you're not trading in order to kind of root out or uncover all those unknown variables in your process and in your own psychology and more importantly to build confidence in your process and and it's through that um that kind of process that you'll have conviction in your actions and you'll be able to build a kind of um or I mean, almost intuitive approach to the market in which you recognize process and then execute trades without really having to think about it because you'll, you'll have a kind of um, a more intimate knowledge of all the, all the variables involved in, in whatever setup it is you're trading. And yeah, an almost intuitive feel for how price should behave under different market conditions. So just for example, you know, it, let's say price is turning up you kind of know you should be buying dips but uh when price is shitting itself that's that's difficult so when you're not trading you 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 really have to be actively practicing doing that to condition your mind um there's nothing like actually being in the market um for those very new traders do you recommend any kind of paper trading to start because i know a lot of people say they get into the market and they just lose shit tons of money to start. Um, do you think there's any benefit to paper trading or do you think you actually need to participate in the market with real money to really get that understanding of how it works plus the mental aspect of it? Uh, yeah, for newer traders, for sure, you need to be trading on demo or with, with kind of extremely tiny size because what... I mean, what you, as a newer trader, you're losing all the time, right? And what you're doing when you're losing is building a kind of uh, negative experience. And that building that negative experience, um, you're you're forming a really, really detrimental kind of feedback loop in which, you know, the next time you go and place that trade, um, you can have all kinds of shit running through your body, cortisol, adrenaline. So... Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's important to try and get a feel for what it's like to be to be, to be in the market, no doubt. But um, yeah, as a newer trader, you really need to be trading on on a demo or with with next to no size if you're going to have any chance of developing good habits. I think. There we go, and then slowly just start to size up. Again, there yeah. are going to be the losses as you continue to improve as a trader and eventually you are going to have to make that leap where you're trading with some size taking those losses understanding how they affect you and learning how to not let it affect you with your next trade Uh, but i appreciate kind of the info for those newer guys and then for the guys who are kind of looking to take it to the next level uh, and apply some of what you talked about today and some of your your strategies what do you think the biggest tip for them should be Um, let's see. I mean, I mean, 
if people are relatively advanced, I think, um, to be honest, they should just stick with what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's the best, fair. Yeah. The best, I mean, something which really plays on my mind often is, um, whether or not this is really the lifestyle you want to be leading. Cause it's, yeah, I guess what I'd encourage more advanced traders or people who are doing this for a living to do is, um, actually just make an honest assessment about whether or not trading is actually what you want to be doing with your life. <laughs> That's Cause, fair. Cause it can be, I mean, it, it, it can be extremely stressful, um, especially if you're trading your own account and, and you're relying on that account for your income and you, you don't want to spend years pursuing this only to end up kind of toxic wreck of a, a human with <laughs> a little to show for it. So, you know, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a kind of insane job when you think about it. If, you know, um, I say to people, imagine if you're working at McDonald's and your boss called you in on Sunday and was like, um, you know, do you fancy coming in on, on Sunday night to go over some stats with me and, and then we can make a plan for the week or, or they were like, uh, yeah, the burgers weren't as good yesterday. So we're just going to ask for your month's wages back. <laughs> most, people, most people will be like, yeah, fuck no, there's no way I'm doing that. And, and quite rightly so, because it's, it's, it's a shit deal. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, yeah, it's, it's for sure really good to reflect on, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning of the, the this recording, I, I kind of came for the autonomy and I still have that to some extent, but it's, uh, I think a sad truth for most traders that they, they come for the, the kind of freedom of it and they stay for the cheap, the cheap dopamine rush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they sort of get shackled up by this dopamine rush that comes with trading um and you you talked about kind of the psychology and kind of getting rid of that but it's next to impossible um to really get rid of all of it completely um but yeah man i, I feel like trading it it's definitely for a very specific type of person and so many people you know you see it on crypto twitter they they see you guys making money. They see you guys working from home. You talked about the fact that, you know, this was perfect because any kind of laborious activity was tough. And so they, they see this and it gets glamorized. Uh, but what they don't look at is kind of, you know, the negative effects and how trading can kind of have these longer term effects on people. So to really understand, you know, is this right for you? Do you want to be doing this in the long term, I would say? Uh, is crucial to kind of making this a career yeah definitely and it's um i mean a lot of the people i say this to that they'll respond that is they have a kind of passion for the 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 kind of art of trading but um unfortunately i suspect that more often than not it's a kind of addiction so yeah i think it's it's, it's, it's really are, are worth... you addicted to trading i mean i think I mean, I think most people who do it professionally are. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it, it's about, I guess it's about how you manage it. But, but I think it's always, yeah, it's really worth just reflecting on what you're doing with your time and whether or not it's right for you in the long run. So for, for me, um, you know, I make money from it, but it, it's not what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. I've got, I've got loads of other stuff I'm interested in. So, um, yeah, just worth spending some time kind of thinking about that, I guess. Yeah, 
And I, I think you've started to at least you you understand that this might not be long term. It's hard because you know day to day you kind of just continue to grind along, and eventually you look back you're like, holy shit, I just spent you know a couple years of my life, ten, twenty years, my whole life doing this. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you kind of have that in mind, and you understand that this isn't something that you're going to be doing forever, which is very good to hear. Um, before we go, is there anything else that you think we may have missed in the episode or that you want my audience to know? I know we did cover a lot and I appreciate you again, bearing with my limited knowledge on this topic. Uh, so thank you for that. But is there anything else before we go? Uh, no, I think that's it for now. I mean, there's, there's plenty more I could talk about, but, um, yeah, it's probably not worth getting into it now. I mean, I, I got all the time in the world. I'm sure my audience wants to hear, but maybe we wrap this one up. I had a wonderful time and you are always welcome to come back on. You've got an open invite for whenever you want to come talk about anything. I know you said you got a couple things coming up that you might be launching or, you know, pursuing a little bit harder. If you ever want to come back on, talk about that. Um, I would love to. So again, thank you so much for bearing with me. Thank you for getting this information out to my audience. It was truly a pleasure talking to you, man. All right. Thanks, Charles.